Welcome to City Church. City Church is a biblically-based, relationally-driven, spirit-led church, encouraging everyone to follow Jesus and serve others. We're excited to share this sermon with you today, and you can always find out more about us online at citychurchseville.com. Well, good morning. Happy Valentine's Day. If you're here with your Valentines, I want you to turn and give them a fist bump. Did anyone just get fist bumped for the very first time by that person sitting next to you? Well, this morning's sermon, and I'm sure this is happening all over the country, will be a sermon on love. Um, It's the last sermon in our Growing Together sermon series, and this one's entitled Jesus' Love. Now, again, what was just mentioned in the announcement video is this Wednesday, we will begin our Lenten season. Ash Wednesday's this Wednesday. We will be taking a 40-day devotional journey together as a church family. And I want to encourage you again that if you would please go use the app, go to the City Church website. Right on the home page, there's a large plaque there that you can click on that will allow you to register for the 40-day devotional um, that we're providing, or you can grab it as you exit City Church this morning. Now, when you speak about love in the Bible, you will end up in the Gospel of John. One of the reasons for that is, is of the four Gospels, there's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, John uses the word love two and a half times more than any of the other Gospels. And so as we look at this morning's sermon where I want to talk very kind of candidly about Jesus' love, we will start looking in the Gospel of John in John chapter 1, verse 14. John 1, 14. Here's what the scripture tells us. The word became flesh and made his, meaning Jesus, dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only son who came from the father full of, and then you fill in the blank and everyone goes, well, you just told me. That the word love is used two and a half more times in the gospel of John than anywhere else. But interestingly, That's not what John puts. John instead puts the following phrase, full of grace and truth. Now, in order for us to understand the love of Jesus, there are some words that we're going to have to define. The first one, if we're going to be talking about love in the context, the biblical context of grace and truth, We have to define grace. Merriam-Webster's dictionary defines grace the following way. The unearned favor that God gives, a temporary exemption, disposition to or an act or insistence of kindness, courtesy or clemency, a virtue coming from God. That's grace. The next word we have to define is truth. Truth, the body of real things, events, and facts, a judgment, proposition, or idea that is true or accepted as true. Fidelity to an original or to a standard. What John tells us 
is that Jesus Christ comes full of grace and truth. And yet John's, one of John's primary themes is love. And yet at that moment where we would think that John would write, and God sends Jesus, and Jesus comes full of, we would think he would pen love, and he doesn't. Under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, he writes grace and truth. Grace is this gift, the favor that God gives. Truth, that's about facts, fidelity to an original standard judgment. And yet somehow in Jesus, those two come together. Now you can't talk about grace and truth without talking about sin. Sin, according to Merriam-Webster, is a transgression of the law of God, an action that is or is felt to be highly reprehensible an often serious shortcoming, a vitiated state of human nature in which the self is estranged from God. And since I didn't know what vitiated was either, let's define that too. To make faulty or defective, to debase in moral or aesthetic status. You learned something this morning, vitiated. Now, when we think about grace and truth and sin, I want to put a definition of sin out there very practically. Sin is brokenness and dysfunction. We know sin is against what is best for us. And as some people put it, it is the evil within. Now, I know that starting a sermon this way isn't always the best of ideas. And so what I wanted to do was to illustrate this idea of grace and truth, this idea of Jesus's love and sin. Truth of it is, I was struggling this week to come up with an illustration. And what I found was I was coming over to City Church Central, I had a couple of meetings one day and um, I came over early and I was gonna spend time in my study here in the building studying. And when I pulled in, I looked out over that about one acre lawn area where we've been holding our outdoor services. And by the way, if any of you showed up this morning to worship outdoor, I'm sorry. But as I was there walk, pulling in and I looked over there at that lawn and was so appreciative of the incredible times that we've been having during our outdoor service before the weather kind of prohibited that. And then I walked into the building and as I walked into the building, there was something that caught my eye. We have a little entranceway downstairs and the room off of the entranceway. Here's what I noticed sitting there. And it was bug spray. And then that reminded me of something else. It reminded me of out on the lawn how a couple of years ago our children's ministry invited all the families with the kids to come and to have kind of a fun picnic and a time where we were gonna play games. And so we all met out there on that lawn and the truth of it is it was an absolute blast. And the center of it was wiffle ball. 
And what was cute beyond belief were to see all of these tiny little kids. Some of them were playing wiffle ball for the first time. Now, here's where grace and truth comes together. Truth. Three strikes and you're? Have you ever played with little kids? Truth and grace come together very quickly if you play wiffle ball. So the little kids are out there. Some of them have never played before. And I started out as the pitcher, and then I ran out of patience. Someone else pitched. So you'd pitch. Little kid would swing. Strike one. Strike two. Strike three. Tears begin to, oh, no, no, that's okay. Swing again. Pitch 11, 12, 13. Anyone else want to do this? 14. And that's grace. Grace knows that three strikes, you're out. But then you look at this and you go, ah. But here's where grace really came in, is when a parent would get over the shoulder of their little child and they'd help them hold the bat. Of course, by then it was strike 50. But then you'd pitch one more and the parent would reach around that child and connect with the ball and the little kid would just light up take off running. Well, I don't know how many outs there were in each inning or how many strikes. But what I do know is, is that I watched as grace and truth somehow worked together, but then there was sin. Let me explain sin. That game went great, and then about 45 minutes before the sun set, I was in the outfield because the ball was never getting out there. None of the kids could hit that far. And I was just observing this. And all of a sudden, my legs began to itch. And I looked down, and my legs were covered in mosquitoes. Now, I know Satan is the image of evil and sin. But a very close second are mosquitoes. How many of you know what I'm talking about? And I looked down... And my legs were literally covered in mosquitoes. And I looked around and all the little kids were trying to play and going like this. And so I ran into the church building and I found this. A can filled of grace. (laughs) And truth. Truth to the mosquitoes, but grace to the kids. And when I went in the side office as I was looking for the illustration, we have tons of cans of this. You want to know why? I don't want to ever play out there again without this. Now, truth of it is, that plague of mosquitoes has never come back again. But by golly, we're ready with the truth when they return. Now, that illustration kind of helps us to understand grace and truth. But in the Gospel of John, there is a story in the middle that's real familiar to all of us. Or will become familiar to you. The reason why is I preach on it often because it's the central story of the Gospel of John. It's a story where grace and truth, which was announced in chapter one, comes together in an incredible story. Again, I've preached on it often, but there's a reason for that because it lets us see Jesus truly love. It's John chapter 8, verses 1 through 11. It's a famous story of a woman caught in adultery. Let's read it together. 
John, John chapter 8 begins by saying this, but Jesus went to the mountain olives of olives, and at dawn Jesus appeared again in the temple courts. Now pushing the pause button, just so you know, what happened in chapter 7 was there was a huge festival called the Festival of Sakoth, or the Festival of Booths, in Jerusalem. It was one of the big, huge festivals, and people would come from all over to celebrate that festival in Jerusalem during the time of Jesus. Jesus, during the festival, had been teaching in the temple courts. That's what rabbis did. You would go to that 35-acre area, and you would set up, and people would gather around, and you would teach the scriptures. Well, Jesus was actually teaching in the temple court. And it says here that he appeared again. So he's been teaching throughout the, the festival of booths. And reading again, it says, there he is, he appeared in the temple courts, where all the people gathered around him, and he sat down to teach. So what happens is, Jesus goes up on the temple mount, he sits down, he begins to teach, and people go, oh, Jesus is here, and they begin to leave the other rabbis, and they come over to him. And so he's teaching this big crowd. Reading on verse 3, it says, The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought to him, or brought in, a woman caught in adultery. Now, pushing the pause button, she had broken the seventh commandment of the Ten Commandments. She'd broken it. And what happens is, this woman who's caught in adultery is brought to Jesus. Reading on, it says, They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, which is another word for rabbi. Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law of Moses, truth, in the law of Moses, in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such a woman. That's found in Leviticus chapter 20. And they turn to him and say, now what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing him. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. And again he stooped down and wrote on the ground. And at this, those who heard began to go away one at a time. The older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman still standing there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said, and then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. We have a story that shows Jesus' love Grace and truth, sin, evil, and me. Me too. Why? Because if you read the Ten Commandments, I would dare say by the age of everyone in this room, we've all broken one of them. But what we know is she's guilty of the seventh sin the one that involves adultery. What's obvious in the story is they're not looking for justice. If they were, they'd have brought the man. Because the last time I checked, it takes two to commit adultery, and they only bring her. 
What's interesting to note is that they're not looking for justice. The gospel story tells us clearly that they are trying to bring her in to trap her. But here's what's awesome. In bringing her to Jesus to trap him, they bring her to the only person who is willing to and able to save her. The only one. And they bring her to Jesus. And it's a trap. And by all accounts, it's going to be ironclad. This time, they've got him. He's on the Temple Mount, which is where the presence of God dwells. He's got a large crowd. They've waited for that. They have her standing there. But then Jesus says something that pivots the entire story. Jesus says, let any one of you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her. And the Bible tells us that the oldest to the youngest began to leave. Now the gospel also tells us that he wrote something in the dirt and we have no idea what he wrote. But one brilliant Bible scholar by the name of Kenneth Bailey says this, I know what he wrote because he lived in the Middle East for 35 years. He said, I know what he wrote. He wrote, she must die. That's what he wrote in the sand. And what happens in that culture is the older people are always up front. And as the older people are up front, they're the only ones that can see what he wrote. And so you have to come forward, look down, and as you look down, he says in writing on the ground, she must die. And when you look up, he looks at you and says, will you throw the first stone? And the oldest to the youngest begin to leave. Why? The context for the story is this. Kenneth Bailey also shares that on the Temple Mount, there were colonnades that surrounded the outside. And because it was a high holy holiday, the Romans would have had tons of guards up on those rooftops watching to see if there was any insurrection. John chapter 18 tells us only Romans can execute under their authority. Only Romans. And so could you imagine if suddenly they take a woman and they stone her to death on the Temple Mount? Kenneth Bailey says what would have happened next is the Romans would have come down, they would have grabbed the crowd, and they would have asked two questions. First one, who's the center of this? And Jesus would have said, that's me. And then who threw the... Now you have to stand with Jesus. He stands for grace. Now you have to stand for the law. And he says, I'm willing to stand with her. Will you stand with the law? And everyone goes, no. I don't want any part of that. I don't want any part of being arrested and having to go to prison. And Jesus said, I'm willing. Who'll stand? And no one would stand with the law. Now what's powerful in this story, what's so powerful is that Jesus stands with her in grace. He's the only one that would have wanted to save her or could, and he does. But also notice, he does not ignore her sin. Jesus does not go blind to truth. 
in him both come together. And what Kenneth Bailey writes is profound. He writes, looking at the context of our story, Jesus accepts both the sexual code of the seventh commandment found in the Old Testament, but he also removes the penalty. He removes the penalty. And he goes on to write this. I love what he wrote. A few minutes earlier, the terrified woman had expected brutal violence and a painful death. Suddenly, the Pharisees are angry at Jesus rather than at her. At great cost, he has shifted their hostility from her to himself. Jesus is in the process of getting hurt because of what he is doing for her. She is the recipient of a costly demonstration of unexpected love that saves her life. Jesus demonstrates the life-changing power of understanding the significance of costly love. The scene provides insights into what is pending for Jesus. What's amazing to me is that the Apostle Paul looks at what is pending for Jesus, and he pens in Romans chapter 5, verse 8, but God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You see, we begin Ash Wednesday this Wednesday. As a church family, we will take 40 days to journey together towards Easter. But in that journey, I want us to remember this. The cross is the place where Jesus lovingly stands with all of us in the truth of our sin. The resurrection is the guarantee that his grace provides for us the ultimate forgiveness and everlasting life. I want to read that again. The cross is the place where Jesus lovingly stands with all of us in the truth of our sin. The resurrection is the guarantee that his grace provides for us the ultimate forgiveness and everlasting life. Now, how do we put feet to our faith with what we've heard, and how do we grow together in the midst of this? Jesus tells us. You see, five chapters later, in the same gospel, Jesus speaks directly to love. And in John 13, 34, he says this, a new commandment I give to you that you love one another. Just as I have loved you, you also are to love one another. So what's the qualification? The qualification that Jesus brings to his kind of love is this, just as I have loved you. That is the standard. This is a call to a concrete response to what Christ has done for me. This love is not based on a feeling, on emotions, or on my rights. No, the reality of it is, Jesus' love is concrete and tangible. Jesus' love is also filled with grace and truth, and it involves sin and me. Today is Valentine's Day. 
It's a day where we celebrate love. What would it look like, though, if all of us who hear this sermon would stand with others the way Christ stood with us? What would it look like where grace and truth come together? Look, I know what it feels like to sit with just the truth. It leaves you downcast and weary. I also know what it looks like to give out just truth. Neither of these bring life. I also know what it's like to want only grace. I know what that feels like. But you see, grace that ignores truth can easily sweep chaos under the carpet to where it just shows up again. Jesus, in the next verse, after having told us that a new command I give you, you are called to love one another just as I have loved you. The next verse is John 13, 35. And he says this, by this everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. So the idea is that we are called to grow together. And again, what would it look like for the next 40 days if all of us, as we move towards the cross, which is when Jesus stood with us in grace and in truth, he captured both on the cross. What would it look like if all of us begin this Wednesday and we make the commitment that we will grow together for the next 40 days and allow grace and truth, the love of Jesus to touch us and to transform us and it changes how we treat and love each other. Let's stand together as we pray and prepare to move towards worship. I wanna take a moment to pray before we worship together. Would you join me in prayer? As we're getting ready to move towards worship, I really don't know where everyone is at with Jesus. I don't know. But you might be standing here in the presence of God and the Holy Spirit is drawing your heart or maybe you're at home and you've been worshiping in your living room. But you sense that the Spirit of God is drawing you. I'm gonna ask that in this moment, that you would stand like that woman and you would stand knowing that you too have sinned. And then in this moment by faith, would you by any chance, and I'd actually encourage you to do this, if not challenge you to do this, that you would do in this moment exactly what happened in that story. That you would discover in this moment that Jesus Christ is filled with grace and truth. He alone is the only one that can save you. Would you in this moment give your life to him? Would you say yes to Jesus? Would you say, Jesus, pray a prayer something like this. Jesus, here I am. I don't know everything there is to know about who you are. But what I do know is that in you there's grace and truth, there's the real kind of love. And Jesus, I need that. 
And Lord, here I stand with my sin and with my brokenness. Here I stand with the best of deeds that I've ever done, but I stand with the worst and I offer them all to you. And I pray that you would take them, that you would forgive them, and that you would cleanse me and that you would transform me by your love. Jesus, help me, save me, redeem me. Lord, I ask for this, and I pray for this now in Christ's name, in Jesus' name. Amen and amen.